Hey everyone, welcome to the Smart Economy Podcast, a production of neonewstoday.com. I'm your host, Dylan Grabowski. This episode of the Smart Economy Podcast is part of the series focusing on women in blockchain. In episode four of the Women in Blockchain series, I chat with Grace Gui, Chief Marketing Officer at JSquare, a crypto investment and advisory company. JSquare is an international VC firm focusing on the NFT, GameFi, and Metaverse sectors with a mid to long-term focus. Grace was also the program manager at the NEO Foundation, where I was lucky to have worked alongside her for a couple of years. In this conversation, Grace and I discuss her background in the legal field and how she transitioned into the blockchain industry, the international appeal that cryptocurrency offers, how broader macro trends impact cryptocurrency markets, the differences between market cycles, current and future trends that Grace is monitoring, philosophical differences between different VC firms, the inherent inclusivity of the blockchain industry, and much more. Just a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any tokens that nothing should be taken as financial advice, and that the host or guests may hold tokens discussed in any given episode. With that said, I really enjoyed chatting with Grace, and I hope you enjoy the conversation too. Hey everyone, Dylan with the Smart Economy Podcast. Today we are joined by Grace Gui. She is the CMO of JSquare. How are you doing today, Grace? Hi, Dylan. Thanks for having me here today. Yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Grace from JSquare. It's a good day. It's also a hot day. <laughs> yeah, it's Friday. Thanks, God. It's Friday. I should say that in the past few months and uh, even today, it's an ordinary day, but it's a new day. Thanks for joining the pod on a Friday night. So you said that before we hopped on the pod, you were out to dinner with friends. And this is kind of the first time in many months, maybe, or, or one of the first few times in many months that you know there aren't many lockdowns and you're able to get out and move around. So to kind of introduce yourself to the podcast listeners, can you tell us where you're based and who you are and what you do? Yeah, for sure. Um, currently, I'm based in Shanghai, China. And I think maybe a few friends have heard that China has been locked down in um, past a few months due to the COVID situation. Yeah, now we are uh, free again. And uh, so today I really enjoy a very nice dinner at the balcony with a few friends. Currently, I'm like working in one venture capital called JSquare as CMO, taking care of the post-investment conversation as well as the marketing and branding in the company. And before that, I was like head of marketing at DFG. So JSquare and DFG, we have like the same fund, James War. And uh, um, the two funds difference will be their investment focus. For DFG, it will be more general. And it starts earlier uh, since like 2015. Had a lot of deals in regulated uh, CFI providers such as like Ledger X, Circle, CoinList, Amber Group, as well as Deeply engaged in the Polkadot ecosystem investment. While JSquare will be more focused on the mass user adoption, such as like NFT GameFi and Metaverse. Maybe a few friends know that before joining VC, I'm part of new ecosystem as well. 
I was a program manager, communications manager in New Foundation, and also starting from the overseas marketing team. I've been in New over three years, so it's my first job in the crypto space. I really love the community there, love the members in NGD and the New Foundation, and I enjoy my days in New. Yeah, so I'm very happy today to have a conversation with Dylan, my friend in New Ecosystem. We did a lot of working together at Neo News today when you were at Neo, especially when you were doing the overseas communication. So you and I have actually had gotten the chance to work together a lot, which has been great. But you did mention that before you were at Neo Foundation and before you were at J Square and DFG, that you were not in the crypto space. So can you tell us a little bit about what your background was before crypto and what industry was that? Yes, actually, I really mentioned that part in the crypto space now because I've been in the space for years. My educational background is law. So I got like law degree in bachelor and uh, master's. And uh, my first job actually was in a law firm as paralegal. But I realized that maybe I don't like it that much, but it may be a waste of time after several years of learning law. So my second job is a solution manager in one online law firm. That's kind of the first uh, listed law firm in China. Mainly the daily job will be to talk with our clients to adopt legal service. That's kind of my journey before joining the crypto space. But one day I still think that maybe I'm not the law girl. So I'm, I'm wondering, okay, if I don't like law, what shall I do? What can I do? And uh, I'm just like thinking about the direction in future. So I understand that if you want to compete with the newcomers or compete with other veterans in the space, maybe I don't have like advantages that much. So I'm trying to find a new industry. And at that time, actually, there will be uh, several choices. The crypto, the ARVR. Yeah, maybe the men too, because I think that these two are quite popular. And it seems that I can fit myself in some uh, certain category and eventually crypto win <laughs> because I think that I don't understand what crypto is, but maybe I understand what VR is. So crypto may be more potential because maybe most of the people don't understand what crypto is. And also there is a, a side story is one of my uh, very good friends, her essay in law is about Bitcoin. And uh, I still remember the topic of her essay will be whether Bitcoin is uh, legal or illegal. And uh, shall, uh, how shall we like take approach it? This is a very interesting topic with her because I say, wow, you know Bitcoin so early. And I know from you why we don't purchase Bitcoin. And she answered because my essay conclusion is it might be illegal. So I didn't buy it. And in that case, we missed our first chance very, very early. Yeah, maybe like very, very early. But it's lucky I still uh, be in the space in early time. Yeah, I have a similar path where I went and got a master's degree in urban planning. And I went to work for multiple governments, counties and state governments. And after about six years, I did not like being in the field anymore. And I was looking for something else to get into. And that's how I landed at Neo News today. You were mentioning that your friend had an essay about whether Bitcoin will be illegal or not. And that was your first exposure to it. 
The first time I was exposed to Bitcoin was around 2012, 2013. And it was through a meme that was making fun of a major price crash to like four or six hundred dollars. And I never thought about Bitcoin again until 2017. So when was the first time you were introduced to Bitcoin? When was this essay written from by your friend? I think it is around like 2014 or like 2013 during the uh, master years. It's also uh, similar to your time. Yeah. So it sounds like we were in um, our graduate programs around the same time. So you were exploring AR, VR, you were exploring crypto, all these different industries. What was it in 2017 about crypto that beyond the fact that if it was so new and you didn't know much about it, that that would create an entry for you to get in and become an expert in the field real quick? What was it about blockchain and cryptocurrency that you found really attractive that you wanted to make that your career? Yeah, it's a good question as well. I think that it will be a story with another friend because at that time he was hired by a very fintech company and uh, she invited me to the conference she organized. I think it's landed fintech conference and uh, on day one afternoon, there will be several um, subtopic conference. And one of it is blockchain held by Wanshan Group. So Wanshan is very popular in China, also a company based in Shanghai. And uh, the other three may be like insurance and uh, many others, because I've never heard about like blockchain. So I'm trying to understand what is blockchain. And uh, it is uh, in the second and a half of uh, 2017. So I should say that's the beginning of me again to touch um, blockchain topic. And after that conference, actually, I met some friends because there will be some speakers giving a uh, speech. I think it's Tom from Definity at that time. But now he may be one advisor. So a few topics um, just to kind of open the new door. And also after that, I attend several like meetups offline and uh, make friends there. One of it will be like from forgotten um, project name, but it starts from that time. I think that I'm like kind of engaged in the blockchain events, making new friends and uh, globally. And I think it's a very cool industry because the people there are not only Chinese local, but they are from different countries. Really cool. Yeah, I remember when I got into crypto, just kind of moving assets off of exchanges onto a wallet and then using, back then it was Shapeshift, which was the non-custodial exchange that was really easy to swap assets. That kind of blew my mind because I was learning about stocks and learning about index funds and equities. And then to be in crypto, this frontier and to have such uh, hands-on experience with moving assets and changing them however I wanted, that was kind of my aha moment. And I quickly found out about NEO in late 2017, which is also when I got into the crypto space. And the gas distributions from holding NEO in a private wallet were kind of really mind-blowing for me at that time. So it's kind of interesting that your first job into the crypto space was landing at NEO, which back in 2017 was 
a really big deal. It was it was uh, kind of one of the next big blockchains that everybody was talking about. So you know, it's really cool to hear that you were working in the legal field and then you parlayed all this experience and were able to land a position at Neo and eventually work with the Neo Foundation. So how did you uh, move from the legal field into landing a position at Neo, which in 2017 was kind of one of the really big chains. So it seems to me like that's a kind of like a dream job to land into in your first cryptocurrency job. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Actually, I think that uh, maybe I will join the industry earlier. So it's possible that I may got another position earlier than my new job. However, I think when I got uh, several offers, then it came for September. You know, 4th of September in 2017 is kind of a disaster. So um, unlike you, that you tried a lot of products and uh, think the financial mechanism in the crypto space is very fascinating. I should say I'm more interested in how the uh, space is working. It's more international and the people are more willing to share ideas, more open source. So I like those chemistry and atmosphere. So I would like to be in the space and then to understand better about the product. When I first buy the crypto and maybe within one week, it's 4th September. So I just got shocked and confused. Wow. So what's this industry? And um, I just withdraw my resign letter at the time and uh, go back to my former job again. Then I got like referral from a friend saying that there is a chance to join one of the best crypto company. Where are you willing to join? I said yes. So that's the start of the journey. And I remember when I made the the change in careers. It was in 2018. So it was the bear market, and you just kind of alluded to trying a new job in, in September of 17, and it was kind of a little scary. So what was that transition for you like? Were you nervous going into the crypto space? Because back then it was still kind of, I wouldn't say fringe, like we thought Bitcoin and Ethereum are going to survive. But you know, all these altcoins and ICOs were were going off and it was very hectic back then. But I also remember thinking, this is a very new industry and I think it will survive, but I'm not sure. So I was really nervous for my first two years in the crypto space. What was your experience like when you were leaving the legal field, which we know there's always going to be a legal field. We know there's always going to be lawyers. We know there's always going to be legal work. And jumping into crypto where you're watching these crazy gains in 2017 and everything getting erased in 2018. For you, what was that experience like? Were you scared? Were you excited about the opportunity? What was that like? I should say excited. Yeah, <laughs> because actually my personality is kind of uh, willing to take challenge. Because sometimes challenge means new opportunity, right? And uh, I seem to uh, need to give up something that people think it's very potential or have very good chance as a career. So I need to um, try something different. And uh, I, I think that within the uh, last like decades, the whole world is more international, more open. So when I see uh, an industry that can attract people from 
different countries and uh, sharing ideas and build something, I think it may be a chance, you know. Otherwise, it won't attract people from different background and culture to build something. And also, it is very related to the technology. Beside of the international, I think high tech is also another trend. So sometimes you don't need to understand all the details. You just follow up your feeling and follow up the direction, follow up the trend. And those kind of high-level trend choice will be more important to some detailed choice. I don't understand. It's a good thing. It means not so many people understand it as well. Okay, whether it will uh, fail or not, it needs time to prove it, right? At least at the early stage, it will be a very good chance for you to do some experiments to prove it. So I think that I don't have so many concerns. My concern will be if I don't think it is the right thing or right industry anymore. If I have to insist doing it, I won't feel passionate. I think that part will miss more opportunities. So once I decided to join the industry after the crash of 4th of September again, I think I'm ready already. Otherwise, I will stay in my former job. Once I make the decision, I just feel relieved. Okay, let's go. Let's make it. And back then, everybody was saying, we're still early. We're still early. And today, I still feel that people are saying that. So what are some of the differences between kind of the market crash of 2018 and the recent one we've gone through? What are the differences? And also, what are the similarities? Yeah, actually, recently, I'm discussing the same question with a few of my friends. Regarding the similarity, we should say that maybe some kind of the um, general economic environment is a little bit similar. Because in 2018, actually, it also starts of um, the world economy, right? And it's kind of a crash in 2018. Also, it will be more fierce after the COVID. And uh, nowadays, it also starts another crash in economic, to some extent, also with some uh, local wars. When the general market outside the crypto space is more prospective, we may have a better chance. However, it doesn't mean if the broader markets are hit hardly, we won't be impacted. So that's kind of the similarity to some extent. I should say for the difference, there will be quite many. At least in 2018, it um, starts from the ICO fever, right? So at the time, you can use your slide to fundraise millions of dollars or tens of millions of dollars. And it's so quick that a a bunch of people got rich and uh, then people, other people lose their money. So it's kind of too hype. And there's not so many substantial things at the time just because there are so many soaps there. So it's time that people go back to reality because there are not so many new money coming in and uh, it's time to stop the game. And uh, this time, I think the market is more mature. And actually, we have more substantial projects, many, many more from like DeFi, Metaverse, NFT to DAO and uh, social coins. Yes, a lot of new things. Maybe we have some at 2018, but uh, they are not that mature projects. But nowadays, I think that we have more scenarios, utilities and uh, really solid products. However, the leverage in this round may be... Uh, also because of the maturity of like DeFi. 
so the leverage is too high. And some of the uh, CFI providers, they are borrowing a lot of money and even using some of the users' money to do high-risk things. Again, the market is with too much money, but without new money. So it's similar, but it's different. Do you think that this time around, we had the same market participants from the ICO boom, but in 2022 and, and 2021, we also had a new class of retail that was participating in the market? Or do you think that in 2021 and in 2022, we were seeing largely the same amount of people that were in the crypto industry four years ago, but they just had more funds to throw around? Or is that not something that really made an impact this time? I think it's glad to see new people coming in the industry. So we still have like some um, same people, same group of people thrown to this round, and some of them now become OG. But we also have like new people. And why ICO at that time is so popular is because a lot of the new projects actually they raise money from individual persons, right? So I should say most of them may not have so much money got from like the seed round, private round from the VC capitals, but instead they will have more of the initial fund raising from individual investors. But to this round, you will see the public sale only uh, takes a very small portion of the early rounds. And most of them will go to the seed round and the private round. So compared to uh, last time, I think the market and even the way we do fundraising is more mature. So it starts from the institutional investors first and then goes to a, a small group of the individual investors. So that's quite different to me. And uh, also the funding raised from the market is much more compared to the last round. Is it safe to say that in 2017, it was retail that was acting degenerate? And maybe in 2021, it was more institutional degenerate activities? Yeah, uh, to some extent it is. Because in 2017, I think that the uh, large institutions, they're just like watching how it goes, right? The whole space is more like kind of an early stage experiment. And uh, people believe it, will buy it, and will support it. So they will use their money to buy those kind of shares early stage in return they got their tokens. But nowadays, yes, to most of the projects, it's well, like starting from um, VC first or like angel investors. But uh, why I say to some extent, because later on you will notice that especially this year, we've seen more investment DAO or like different DAO groups that can help people to participate in early stage investment or projects as well, right? And some are doing pretty good job. And uh, also... I have seen that some launchpads and uh, incubators, they are gaining uh, more attention. And uh, uh, some of the ways they organize the platform will through DAO as well. So maybe for this round, starting from the institutional, but now it can be institutional plus DAO, so plus the individual investors. Okay, so we can't just say 
this time around, it's the institution's fault for the leverage and kind of crazy activity we saw that it's a little bit spread more across the markets. And also in 2020 to 2021, we also saw the emergence of DAO-based investing. I remember the first time I kind of saw this DAO approach was with Meta Cartel in 2018, 2019. So it's been really cool to see this expand across the ecosystem to other areas and other chains as well. Of course, NEO now has grant shares where you can apply for seed funding, essentially, to the NEO developer community. And it will be on them to decide whether they want to invest in the project that you propose or not. Now, I, I want to talk about some trends that are going on right now, but I also want to take a step back and just highlight the experience that you had when you were at NEO Foundation because you got to learn a lot of the insights that you have now and that you're able to act on. You got to learn that by basically throwing yourself into a brand new industry and being an integral part of the day-to-day for how the NEO Foundation and NEO Global Development was able to make progress. So can you just give us a little bit of a highlight of the work you did when you were at NEO and kind of who you collaborated with and how you made things happen? You mentioned like the grand shares, and I think that I may be part of the initiative as well, right? Because in the past, it may called like new grants. And that kind of effort is because at the time, we would like to have a more public mechanism that can attract more developers to join our global developer communities. Because we have a very united communities for years, COZ, News Today, and uh, a lot of uh, other developers around the world. So we, we hope that if we can have some clear published mechanism for them to understand how we work and how they apply for funding, then it will be easier for them to join us as well. So I think that me and a few members, which is like Dean and Steven, Longfei and uh, John D, yeah, we are like talking, having a lot of discussion on it. I'm very glad that uh, uh, Grand Shares actually nowadays can help with that purpose to provide early stage support to talented developers. As I mentioned earlier, that I started from the new overseas uh, global marketing. Very beginning, I was like responsible for those overseas events, um, starting from DEF CON and then like the hackathon tour in Europe and the second DEF CON. So it's about like traveling around to offline, meet our global communities and share what we are doing and what's our follow-up roadmap for them to understand and join us to build. So that's kind of my main job at the time. And also at that stage, I think that's when we start to work together with New News Today. I still remember the first conversation we had is in Eric's office because at that day, there is no vacant uh, meeting room. And Eric, at that day, I think, at the time, he is not in office. So we just used his office and the whole marketing team. I, I think no one dared to. It's not like dare, but we don't feel comfortable to sit on Eric's chair. So we all like <laughs> sit on the floor and the whole marketing team sit on the floor and making calls with 
Dean. And I think maybe also you and uh, I'm not sure if that time you were there. Yes, maybe right. Maybe. Me and Edge, maybe. Yes, you're an Edge. So um, the marketing team in Shanghai and the NNT team, okay, we have our first meeting. That's how we begin to be more collaborative in the marketing side. So starting from the events and later on more to the PR side, because then we are um, partnered with EAK, Aaron's team, that giving more exposure to our second DEFCON in Seattle. And also invited a lot of uh, very nice reporters in top tier media and the KOLs, such as like Data Dash, et cetera, to our on site event. So I should say my role in the NGD team is more about like traveling around to make friends, is very lucky. And uh, that's why I also got the opportunity to join New Foundation because Eric needs someone that can help him to communicate more with global developer communities. And uh, I was doing that already through those events. So got the chance to help with him and uh, having more conversations regarding how we build the product. I'm very excited because I think that marketing is about telling what we are doing, but joining new foundation means I have a chance that can help in making some strategy. And when I was like in new foundation, actually starting from regular course with co-developers and uh, global developer communities, I think in the past, we may only have the chance to meet each other during DEF CON, but we don't have so many interactions outside GitHub. So I'm trying to build more channels outside GitHub. And... Uh, it seems that those communication is beneficial because sometimes it will be easier to reach agreement within a shorter time. And later on, I, I think that uh, uh, we luckily got like um, John Devders be more engaged in new foundation as well, such as my colleagues, Longfei and Steven. And uh, uh, we as a group can like discuss more strategy about how to grow the community and how to facilitate our entry launch. Yeah, that's been quite a good journey. Yeah, DevCon 1 in San Francisco was my first ever crypto event that I attended. And it was pretty awesome to be there. So it's really cool to hear that you had your hand in these major international developer conferences. And then just by communicating with the various developer communities across the world how you kind of had your finger on the pulse for what was going on and helped you know, share that information with Eric and with leadership at NEO and to just kind of act as like the centralized entity that everybody could talk to if they wanted to see something get done. So I really wanted to just highlight your experiences and communicating with developers and then hosting offline events because... In doing that, you get to hear a lot about what people are working on. You get to understand from the granular, the developer level, sort of what the trends are at the time for the work that they're doing. So you really got to be in the weeds day in and day out while these major trends were growing across the industry, like the addition of oracles and the building of distributed storage networks. like. During your tenure at NEO, this was kind of the infrastructure that was being built and, and a lot of like technological trends that people were talking about. Now it's 
2022, we've built out these robust networks. We've seen various different Oracle and distributed storage networks. And the trends have gone beyond just like infrastructure that you know we were seeing be built in 2018, 19, and 20. So what are some general trends today that you're seeing in the blockchain and crypto space from the VC's perspective? Yeah. Um, so I think that in the last round, actually, we, be, we may be more focused on building the infrastructure, especially like the public blockchains. And uh, that's also the reason why I think you capture all those like pioneering functionals and uh, make it the uh, native oracles or like distributed storage solutions. Because we think that as a powerful uh, layer one solutions, we may provide all those necessary infrastructure and functions to the applications building on that. So nowadays, I think that the infrastructure layer will be more mature and uh, some of the solutions will be decoupled, right? For example, there will be like separate oracles and the distributed layers and there will be different choices. So it, it will be easier for the applications to be successful because they don't have to hands-on to work on a lot of infrastructure by themselves so they can save time to do more research on how to onboard users to adopt their solutions. And uh, that's the reason I, why I think nowadays the metaverse NFTs may be more popular because the end users can understand it and uh, the projects will be easier to launch a new project within weeks, even within days. So the first change will be we are seeing more solid applications coming out. The second one will be the categories seems to be more solid as well, because at the time we, we also have like the game in back in 2018. And uh, I also remember that you also hold a new game conference in um, Japan, in Tokyo. So in 2018, I think at the time we have like the um, CryptoKitties and uh, we have a lot of other like gamings. But today, the gamings and the Axie and the Starsharks and many X to earn projects has a longer lifespan, right? Because their models will be more interesting to onboard the users. And some uh, AAA games are coming out, such as like Big Time. And so people are willing to play it and they can play for a longer time. And the NFTs, I think that people are buying its stories either as avatar or as a recognition of the culture or the team behind it. From our perspective, uh, like I mentioned earlier, that uh, JSquare will be more focused on those user adoption. So we think NFT, GameFi, and Metaverse, there are still great potential here. And personally, I'm also very interested in DAO. One of the reasons uh, why I joined industry is because before I joining, a friend just convinced me that the crypto space is about the evolution of a new working way, that all people in this space can be freelancers. And the people just can be focused on what they like, what they're good at, and they can build a team to work on multiple different projects and uh, contribute to different ideas to facilitate it. So that is a totally different way from the traditional company operational model, and which seems very attractive because it is about the crypto nomad. 
it is about freedom and it is about doing what you are good at to do and uh, um, getting better reward. So all the things, all the systems behind it is so attractive. And I think that uh, currently we may have like more usable DAO tools and uh, DAO mechanism and some uh, very good DAO models to refer to. So this is very cool. And also um, something like the DID, even though maybe it's not easy to facilitate it, but definitely the ownership of the identity and the asset is something that we want. And uh, yeah, maybe I think that new at the very beginning is working on the digital asset, right? That is something very attractive in the space. Even the NFT is digital asset. Even those like tokens are digital asset. So I think we are facing a lot of new things and we will see more coming out. And personally, I will be very interested to see those about user adoptions. You worked at NEO for many years and you were saying when you were at DFG, you focused on the Polkadot ecosystem. So in your role at JSquare now, how important is the layer one network when you're evaluating projects or when you're working with projects? Are people or investors or fellow VCs really focused on L1s or are they focused on products and not necessarily on the underlying layer? First of all, I think different VCs may have their different investment philosophy and preference. So different strategies. I think that for layer ones, most of VCs do care. That's the reason why a lot of VCs do like invest heavily in new emerging protocols such as uh, Solana and Aptos, right? Because they still think that the underlying part, the ecosystem is important. So to some extent, all the VCs will care about that part. But uh, eventually, I think the investment decision will be um, made based on the specific cases. So for example, are you believing the team's capability? Will they be able to deliver the product? Is the product market fit? And how do you think of their plan? And uh, how will they solve some existing problems? And are they possible to adopt a great uh, um, large user base? So I I think that uh, there may be some standards to make the individual decision. But ecosystem is also um, something we care. But in the other way around, I think ecosystem project, if there is a popular use, which will make the ecosystem perspective again, right? For Phantom, I think they are based on the DeFi products, which makes it so popular. So it doesn't matter it's layer one or its product because they are beneficial to each other. So. From your perspective, this year has been a massive unwinding of leverage and poor token models. So when I say this, I'm thinking of these massive collapses we've seen at the protocol level with Terra, at the lender level with Celsius and Voyager and BlockFi, and even at the VC level with Three Arrows Capital. So. In VC, were you and your teams 
seeing warning signs of these kind of overleveraging? And if so, how did these kind of conversations differ from maybe the time that you were working at Neo, which was focused on development and layer one? Yeah, I should mention that my boss, our co-founder, and especially like James, he has a good risk management, a very instinct with the uh, general market performance. So compared to layer one, I think VC is doing a better job in risk management, observing the general market performance to allocate resources and the fundings in different stages to get better reward, right? Also, he understands better about the market emotion because VC is very, I should say, insightful or very sensitive in this part. And uh, for all those like uh, large companies you mentioned that go bankruptcy, I think they will having too high risk in the asset management. That's why eventually got the current situation. And for layer ones, actually their job is about like building very solid infrastructure and support the ecosystem to build really uh, useful and uh, good applications. So they're about like spending money for better products. And I I should say that the goal of VC and uh, layer one to some extent is a little bit different because VC, even though they, they want to invest the best product and the most promising project to and also support them during the post-investment stage, but they purchase the interest as well. But layer ones, the interest is not that priority. They would like to get better product. So no matter like their market or bull market, they have to allocate resources to support the ecosystem building. But the wise way maybe will be some asset management to have a better chance for long-term sustainable support. Very interesting insight about the different types of industries across the crypto space. In 2020, the major trend was DeFi. I would say in 2021, the major trend was NFTs. I'm not quite sure what the major trend in 2022 is. Maybe it's just another bear market. But maybe from where you stand, what do you think the major trend will be in the crypto space next year in 2023 and beyond? It's about prediction. <laughs> it may also be a guess, right? Because in 2020, maybe the um, beginning of 2020, nobody can imagine how DeFi is so booming and prospective. So usually guess sometimes is only guess because people cannot imagine uh, booming new things, how quickly it will happen. But I, I think it's only like personal opinions. Uh, lately, I see the market cool down, but people are more interested to discussing about building something. And a lot of like DAOs are popping up and uh, there will be research DAO and there will be like investment DAO and the like builder DAO uh, consists of like developers. And uh, some of the DAO groups, they are trying to... Um, build the tools that facilitating those DAO groups. So I think that these kind of DAOs may not be like as big as DeFi projects, but they are a new way of working. So currently, I think in QT and Q3, we will see more DAOs coming out. And uh, even though the DAO may not be the eventual DAO that I can imagine of, but uh, 
I really like what they're building. And also the game, I think game fights do has a good chance because people are starting to realize only to earn is not enough because people will easily get tired of it, especially after new, more users joining in when the economic model on things doesn't work. So they are more focused on making the games more interesting. You can imagine that people will easily get bored after a day of work. They want to have some fun. So if people can have some fun and earn something at the same time, they will feel happy as well. So I believe that the game and metaverse also has a good chance as well. Cool. And kind of moving into our final segment of the podcast, the series is focused on women in blockchain. And something that I noticed when I went to Shanghai in 2019 for the NEO Community Assembly was that the NEO Global Development Office had a very good distribution of men and women that were working at the office. Whereas when I go to meetups here in the States or I go to companies that are focused on the blockchain space, there was a very male-dominated presence. So I'm just kind of curious to hear, what are your general thoughts about women in the blockchain space? Is there more of an opportunity? Just what are your insights? Actually, I think that I've seen many women in the space, especially around me. And uh, Usually, girls will be easier to communicate and understand the other's feelings. So they may be more capable in some like communication roles or uh, marketing or like BD roles. So I've seen a lot of like co-founders in um, really good media and uh, CMO roles in different like projects. And also, I have seen very talented developers. Maybe that part, I should say developers usually will have more uh, male developers compared to the female developers. However, I've uh, started to see more women developers as well. So this space is quite neutral. As long as you have your uh, skill set and uh, you feel confident and you can make contributions, it's not only a man career, right? And uh, we we also seen so many like NFT focused on women. It's well received. So I don't see the male or female is kind of something we should focus on because it's so natural to me to have female colleagues around me. There's another kind of thread I wanted to pull on in that you mentioned that there's a lot of male developers, but there's also a lot of anonymous and pseudonymous figureheads in the crypto space because all we are... All we have to be on Twitter is an avatar, right? Yeah. And on GitHub, all you have to do is produce code. Like no one has to know who you are, what you look like, what you're into or anything like that. So do you think that because blockchain has this kind of pseudonymous and anonymous feature that maybe that makes it more welcoming or more of an even playing field? To some extent, yes. Because if you don't want people to know that you are working on certain projects, you can choose to be anonymous. And if you don't feel comfortable to be public, then you can choose to be anonymous. And some of them may not allow to do like side projects among, besides their like full-time job. They still want to build something. They can choose to be anonymous. So yes, 
I think that this is about reorganization of the way we work. It's about the freelancer. It's about the DAO. It's about how we distribute the salary, the reward, and possibly it will gradually becoming a trend. Such as we work nowadays is quite popular because we are accustomed to the shared space, shared office buildings with separate rooms, and you can also use. The, the the space in the living room, right? So people can eventually don't have to go to the office. They can choose to be remotely, and、uh, they can work as a nomad and meeting friends around the world. So I, I think that is good. But one day, if they want people to know who they are, they may use a way to prove it. And、uh, you know that Bitcoin is developed by Satoshi, and we don't know who he or she is. So it doesn't matter. The thing is here, and it doesn't matter if we know him or her. Awesome. And kind of the last question I want to ask you: What is the role of mentorship? I noticed throughout this conversation, you're very gender neutral. Actually, you're saying that men and women have. From your perspective in this industry, and equal opportunity to rise. So, I guess generally, what's your thoughts on the role of mentorship? How important is it to help people succeed? How do people seek it out?、Uh, what are your thoughts? I think if you can get a good mentor, it will be very lucky, and、uh, to some extent, it will be very important as well. Because usually, people will get lost or confused. In certain period of time, especially in such a new space, there are a lot of things ongoing. There are so much news happening every day, and there are so many opportunities. Also, some of the failures as well, right? Maybe one day you you just think that where am I, and what I can do, and what I can do best. So, if someone with rich experience can guide you. In some way, it will makes you more clear and、uh, confident to stick to what you are good good at. I, I should say that personally, I also have those last moments, and、uh, sometimes I just like cannot figure out what's the best、uh, solution. Before I personally making the、um, final decision, I will ask for my friends as well to share my confusion and.、Uh, Trying to get some suggestional feedback. If I happily to have those kind of mentors, I think that I will feel more relieved and comfortable, and take more time to solve the problem. That's the reason why I think incubators and、uh, those very reputable VCs are more important as well, because they may provide really good connections and resources and support for early stage projects. And also, I think that's also why such as Layer One Foundations is so important because not only provide the funding, the grants, but also they will leverage their resources to the projects to secure their success. Yes, mentor can be a person and can be a mechanism, can be a way. Awesome. Well, Grace, it's getting late Friday night your time, so I want to thank you so much for. Carving out the time from your fun time and your schedule now to come join the Smart Economy podcast. I personally really miss our monthly calls with you and working with you. 
So someday in the future, I look forward to potentially working together with much more frequency and cadence. But it was really great to be able to catch up with you and to hear what you've been doing since you left Neo. And I'm really excited to see what you continue to do and to follow along with your path. So thank you so much for coming to join the podcast. Thank you, Dylan. Thank you for um, having me here. I always remember those kind of lovely moments where we had the calls at night and uh, those persons who share the list will sing a song. <laughs> I still remember that happy memory and look forward to um, collaboration in future as well. Even though I live new, but I still miss here and I hope that the new ecosystem will be more prospective in Web3. Well, Here's to keeping in contact and uh, I make sure to speak up now so that I don't have to sing a song at the end of, of meetings. <laughs> yeah, I, I think today we both share a lot. So we, uh, we neither have to do that song, but uh, maybe next time we can ask Songping to organize an online KTV and uh, with the background music and everyone sing their favorite song. <laughs> Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for coming to join the podcast. I don't want to stand between you and beer any longer. So thank you and cheers. Yeah, cheers. Bye-bye. Well, what did you think of that conversation? It was awesome to hear about Grace's insights into how blockchain and Web3 are changing the ways in which the world works. Not just a shift away from corporatization, but also towards a more international model. It was really cool to hear more about Grace's conviction about the future upside that DAOs and the metaverse will have in the blockchain space. And I really appreciated hearing more about Grace's perspective on the differences that layer one foundations and VC firms have on market outlook and their differing asset management strategies. And on that note, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to listen to the Smart Economy podcast. If you liked what you heard and want to support the show, please keep Neo News Today in mind when voting for your Neo Council representative as part of Neo's governance process. We appreciate you and look forward to catching you next time.